where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Messy Intersection. My name is Diana and I am a registered dietitian and a certified lactation educator counselor. But if you've listened to other episodes of the show, I hope you also know that I am a person who is just intensely interested in the health and well-being of women, especially moms. My guest today is also a woman who is very interested in the well-being of new moms, especially newly postpartum women. She is a postpartum doula. And I don't know about you, but all throughout both of my pregnancies, I never heard a word about postpartum doulas, which are very different than birth doulas. And now that I know how incredibly valuable their services can be, I'm on a mission to make sure that more women know that a postpartum doula is an option. And I'm really excited to share that Mandy is actually my first guest who is not a registered dietitian. Uh, you may or may not have noticed, but all of the previous guests so far on the messy intersection have also been dietitians like I am. And there's a few reasons for that, mainly because this is a show about feeding ourselves and feeding our kids, and dietitians play a big role in that and have lots of expertise to share. But also because being a dietitian myself, dietitians are who I hang with. They're my peers. But one thing that I know will be really awesome about this podcast going forward is that it will give me the opportunity to connect with more professionals as well as, you know, any moms who are not dietitians and who may hold some expertise or have a unique story that this audience would benefit from. And I'm really excited to connect with those people. This interview is also unique in that Mandy and I recorded it right before COVID hit, like seriously, right before. And as I've shared before, I put the brakes on this podcast as a result of needing to stay home with my own kids in March of 2020. But Mandy is a business owner, and as you probably know, most businesses have needed to pivot given the changes of 2020. So you're first going to hear the original interview that Mandy and I did, because I think it's just really, really good. And then we're going to hop in with a much more recent recording, what's going on with Mandy and her business, given that we are now still in the middle of a pandemic. So... My guest today is Mandy Major. She is a mother, journalist, and certified postpartum doula with Dona International. A perinatal specialist, her mission is to make the fourth trimester as happy and healthy as possible by empowering and educating families and providing the heartfelt support they deserve. She is the founder of Major Care, a startup focused on telehealth solutions for the fourth trimester. Their latest endeavor, My Fourth, is a first-of-its-kind postpartum app for new parents. It launches January 24th of 2021. Prior to entering birth work, she was an editor and digital director for more than 10 years, working for brands including Penguin Random House, Food Network, and Hearst. Mandy holds a master's from Columbia Journalism School and is a postpartum contributor with Healthline.com. So as always, the content on the show is for informational purposes only and not a substitute for professional medical advice. And the views I express are my personal opinions and do not represent the views of my clients or employers. Let's hear from Mandy. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining me on The Messy Intersection today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely delighted to be here. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the postpartum experience and the role of a postpartum doula. And I invited Mandy on the show today because she had you know, a postpartum experience of her own and it's really shaped her career and the kind of work that she's doing presently. So, you know, Mandy, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, the kind of postpartum experience you had and how that's really shaped your work now. Absolutely. The birth of my daughter, which was almost four years ago, was just a complete seismic shift. I was in food media and in New York City, hustling. Being, I was just going to be, as I say, that working mama who was leaning the hell in. I was one of the last of my friends to be pregnant. And so I, I, had, I had watched them go through it, having their children. And I was reading all the books possible. And I felt like I got this. And as true in life in many ways, whenever you say I got this, life likes to kind of surprise you, I think. <laughs> and she came a month early. And I had a, a very healthy pregnancy that was not expected. 
And it was, uh, so it was a month early. Thankfully she was completely healthy. So I'll put that out there, but she was late preterm infant, which means she was born at just under 36 weeks. And I also had a precipitous labor, which means a labor that happens very, very fast. It's almost like uh, a Hollywood birth. And it was very funny because I had done an eight week Bradley method course with my husband about how to prepare for the, the birth. And she had, the instructor spent like 30 seconds saying, in all of my 18 years of teaching, I've only had one one woman experience a precipitous labor. So we're not going to cover it because it doesn't happen to anybody. Wow. <laughs> of course it happened to me. So that really, my daughter entered this world quickly and loudly. And, you know, it was just par for the course of this crash course that we went on. So I say all of that because I, I didn't feel, I felt like I still had a month to go. And so it was, it was odd feeling like I almost, when she was born, I was obviously starstruck by her and it was momentous, but it was also like, I felt in a weird way, robbed of time to more, to prepare. And no one could answer why she was born early. And I was discharged with, without really any information about what a late, what's involved with a late preterm infant. I know now as a doula, there's a lot associated with feeding, making sure that you're waking the baby every two hours to feed you. As, as is true with even full-term infants, you really don't want to wait for those hunger cues in those first few weeks you need to wake to feed, but certainly with a late preterm infant. And our family was not nearby in New York City. They're in New England, but my husband had to go back to, to work one week after she was born and I was alone. And this happens a lot more and more. Families are, are dislocated. You know, we don't have that really central unit. And so I was very surprised as somebody who felt very educated, very well prepared that all of a sudden I was a mama before I had expected to be. <laughs> and I was in this weird place of feeling so thankful that she was healthy and okay, but I felt very, very lost. And especially I, I did have some family visit um, this, this between the second and third week, but I was on my own in a walk up. I threw my back out. I was like, there was so much happening. And I, as I, as I got my sea legs and she also, I should say, we had a lot of feeding issues based on my, my nipple structure, which I learned is very important. And I hadn't planned for that as well as her being late preterm, which means she's, she was very sleepy. She really didn't have the musculature in her jaw to, to suck well and to empty the breast as efficiently as she could. So she was burning up all her calories and not gaining weight. And it was a very scary time. So I, and I kept being told, you know, she's not gaining weight. What are you, what are you going to do? I'm a first time mom. I don't, I don't know what to do. And so the, the pediatrician had a list of lactation consultants, but it was really on me to call them to find help, to advocate for myself and being somebody who comes from a place of, I'll say, privilege, I was able to advocate for myself. I was able to get those resources. Not everybody is that lucky. And so anyway, to kind of fast forward, I, I went to a new mom's group in Brooklyn where I had been living and that was super helpful. And, you know, but we were all like the blind leading the blind. <laughs> it was trying to find those that information, those answers. And I found that again and again, I kept hearing my you know fellow parents like, why didn't anyone tell us this? Like, why didn't I know about this? Are, is this normal? Is this okay? What's happening with you? And I like to joke that like, we didn't even know each other's last names, but we knew the state of each other's vaginas. It was very, <laughs> such a, a motherhood and new parenthood is such an, a unique time. You're so vulnerable and, and desperate for information and help and everybody has their own stuff and their own little human to learn. And you're just, you're all trying to help each other out. And that's really beautiful. I think the, the most beautiful part of it. So as I was going through that journey though, I kept hearing a lot of like people being told, well, that's just how it is. Or like, it'll get better. Or like, say they might've had vaginal pain still like 10 weeks postpartum after, after, you know, not having a birth that they didn't experience undue trauma and just being told like, kind of like, that's the price for admission. For, for parenthood. And I just kept hearing these stories. And I think the journalist in me was like, that's not good enough. Like that is not okay to just be told like, wait a couple of weeks and see what happens. Or like, yep, 
you're just going to pee yourself. That's just how it is. You know, whatever is, is going on. Or in my case, what I, I only reflected, only saw years later was that I, I had postpartum anxiety and it was on the, on the bell curve. It was on the lower side, but it was enough to not want to make me leave the house because it was very overwhelming to think about how do I leave? How do I have to pack up all of the stuff? What if she needs to feed? I wasn't somebody who felt really comfortable. Like I'm a huge advocate for breastfeeding in the public, but for me personally, my, my history, my, my body self-awareness, all of that, I was not one who was like, boobs out. So there was, and that was all part of it. I did not know it at the time, but I had no one to really like dig into that. So, and I, I'll also share that I had a lot of difficulty at work. I was basically squeezed out of my position while I was on maternity leave. Borderline illegal moves. They were just on the right side of legal and how they went about it. And it was, I was only about one month to maybe two months postpartum when I found out that I was, I was at the top of my, I was a director level and I was getting someone put above me. And there was a a big penalty. It was a big pregnancy penalty. And then when I came back, it was dealing with, with all of that change and trying to pretend that I was, I was playing along because I needed to keep my job. And so I was seeing this whole other side of politics where I, I honestly, it sounds so naive now, but I thought, I just really thought we were farther along than we than we are. And I just felt like all of a sudden I was like 1987 in Baby Boom, that movie of dating myself. But it just felt like, really, we're still here? And all of the hostility I had about being having been pregnant, being on maternity leave, hostility about deciding to pump at work. And it was like so many days, day after day of like, do you really have to leave the meeting now to pump? And you're still pumping? And why don't you just do formula? And all of these things. And it felt like everything I was doing was political and overwhelming when, as I think anybody who has a young child or has birth to human, wherever they are in that spectrum, even if it was 20 years ago, they'll appreciate like, just not showing up to work with wet hair is a big deal, right? Like you're, you're, you're trying to, it's that whole matrescence, that element of like, you birthed a baby, but the the process of becoming a mother, and also I'll say the process of becoming a parent, you know, I want to be as inclusive as possible in my language. So, you know, being a birth person, there is so much to figure out. So it was, it was a lot of pressure on me to go on that journey and then feel like everything I was doing was heightened. It was all political. It was all difficult. I, and I had a lot of support in my life. I had an, a tremendous partner, wonderful friends, but I just was like, what? Wow, this is where we are? And that really, you know, I was too busy doing trying to be a provider for my family to really think about it. But it kickstarted this idea of like, how do we do better by mothers and birth persons? And so I learned what a postpartum doula is somewhere in there. And I was like, what? (laughs) And obviously postpartum doulas have been around for a long time. And really, I mean, doulas have been around forever. We just didn't codify them as that, you know, I think in our social structures, it would have be very normal to grow up around lots of births, to see births, to see lactation, to help out with that. We're just very removed from that. You know, I, I say a lot with clients that sometimes your baby is the first baby you've ever held because of the way life is now. And like, talk about a learning curve, right? There, there's so much to that. So anyway, I uh, found out what a postpartum doula is and I was thinking like, that's it because I'm not interested in I'm really not interested in in being a birth doula. I'm not interested in being a medical provider. That's not my calling. I felt medical is this whole other thing. I already have a graduate degree in journalism. I'm not going back to school. (laughs) That's not really the route that calls me. And being a birth doula is a tremendous calling, I think. For me, I felt that birth was very well represented. And also, there is a lot of advocacy and awareness when it comes to birth. There is still a lot of work to be done because people are dying all the time in birth, as we'll talk about with some statistics. But I think postpartum was really this untapped time that I felt like even if everything goes well and you're super supported, you have tons of questions. And you're going to Dr. Google 
and getting scared or you're going down a rabbit hole in private Facebook groups or other social groups, which can, I will say, can be an absolute lifeline. And they were for me, but you have a lot of people saying like, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. And most, a lot of it in my experience is good information and very compassionate information, but depending on the group you're in, not always. And so a doula is going to, especially one who's been through a pretty rigorous certifying program, is going to have really been rooted in evidence-based information and facts to help guide their guidance. It's not their opinion. It's experience and evidence-based information and research. So that's a long story to a short question. I think it deserves that much attention, though. And, you know, it's been really fascinating for me just now learning your story, because I also birthed my four-year-old daughter in New York City and was working for a food-based nonprofit at the time and got a very... More in common than I even realized. (laughs) I got a a very short maternity leave. I was the, the first woman at my whole company to have ever had a child since the company was founded. Plenty of men had become fathers at the time. And on the one hand, it was kind of good that they were like, yeah, we have people come become parents all the time. And they were seeing it kind of inclusively. And then on the other hand, they were like, whoa, we don't have a lactation room. We don't actually have a maternity leave policy. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's huge. Same deal. My my husband only got one week of leave. And Mm -hmm. I really felt like that first week at home, I had a relatively uncomplicated birth. I actually birthed my daughter at 41 weeks. So I had five additional weeks (laughs) beyond you to really prepare, (laughs) which which helped for sure. Mm -hmm. And it was an uncomplicated birth. But that that day, my that first day, my husband went back after a week. I felt fine the first week, and when he went back, mm. boom, yeah. the anxiety set in. And what I lived in Jersey City at the time, which is on the other side of Manhattan from Brooklyn. But most of my friends at the time lived in Brooklyn. And you know, for anyone who's familiar with the geography of New York City, it takes like an hour over. to get from Brooklyn to <laughs> like. Full stop. They're not coming over. That's like my friends in, in, on the Upper West Side. They're like, oh. Yeah, we'll we'll get out to Brooklyn sometime soon. Right. Yeah. So I felt very alone and and went through some of the same struggles. Fortunately, you know, same as you, I found a new moms group in Jersey City, and it was definitely you know an absolute lifeline for me. But same deal, blind leading the blind. And one thing that really stands out to me about hiring a, a postpartum doula as compared to going to your new mom friends or even you know your own mom or sister or someone in your family who's had her own birth experience is that when we're talking to a peer or a family member it's pretty much always going to be there well this is what worked for me and right. you know, and you know whether or not you do things the same way that they do is going to be one issue. And, you know, even if your baby has colic, what worked for them for their colicky baby is not necessarily what's going to work for you. And I love the idea of someone who is just completely independent Mm -hmm. and who is just there. There's so much attention on the baby as well. There should be, but like in one of the resources that you sent me, we're talking about mothering the mother and how, you know, in, in, you know, cultures past, that was just something that was built in was that, Oh my goodness, you're having a baby. You know, we are all going to come together as a community around you, the mother, and make sure that you are cared for so that this baby can be cared for. But we don't really have that (laughs) anymore. That's absolutely it. And in a lot of cultures, the first 40 days are sacred. And and postpartum can mean different things to different people. Some people refer to it as the, the first full year. Some, the fourth trimester, quote unquote, which is the first three months, you know, those 90 days. But really, those first 40 days are about that mother, that birth person. And mothering the mother is so important. And it's what we've, I, I, I truly feel we've lost. And that's why, for me as a doula, I was interested, I'm most interested what propels me forward in the advocacy work I want to do because my doulaing is very much rooted in advocacy work and feminism is to support that birth person. I think so often we get treated as a vessel and all that focus shifts to the baby. And there are so many resources and thankfully so much, you know, medical support for babies. You know, look at even your baby has an appointment with their pediatrician, usually two days after you're discharged from the hospital and you have to wait six weeks, which is a lifetime, an absolute lifetime. Those six weeks can can make or break your ability to breast or chest feed. You could have postpartum preeclampsia. You could have a postpartum hemorrhage and not know it. 
I mean, with those situations, those are life-threatening and people do die from those. And so not having that information and, and not knowing what's going on, you know, hopefully you go to an ER, hopefully those people are going to, you know, you, you know to go to an urgent care, but not everyone does. And yeah, like who's there to talk to you and, and to know. And so, yeah, for, I think having a, an independent, as you said, somebody who is totally like independent from your family and your friend group is, I think can actually be tremendously helpful. And in some ways I joke about being like a BS free member of your family. Like I am there for you, but I have no agenda. There's no baggage coming in with me and I'm not trying to throw family and friends under the bus, but somebody who's really there to just ask, how are you doing? And often I think sometimes I'm the only person in a room to ask that, you know, it's like, let's bring clothes for the baby. And, you know, ah, and then you see, you know, the, the birth person, the mama there and, <laughs> They're like, uh, somebody asked me how I'm doing. Right, right. And it's, I think it's hard, you know, especially, you know, my, my oldest child was the first grandkid born in my family and, you know, absolutely nothing against my own mom. She was wonderfully supportive, but, you know, this was her time to become a grandmother. And she was so, you know, just, you know, entranced by the baby. And that's wonderful. You know, I love the idea. So I did not have, I had a birth doula, but I did not have a postpartum doula. I honestly didn't even know what a postpartum doula was. And I love the idea of someone who is, whose job is simply to look out for the health and well-being of the mama. And then you, you, as you said, you're not a health professional, but you're working to refer to other health professionals if needed, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so our, I think what's tricky about postpartum doulas is it's, well, one, it's, it's still sort of the wild west, even though we've been around for a long time, you know, you can be certified, but there's not a licensing program across the country and it means different things to different people. But I think what's also the, the wonderful side of it is how much we can do. So we're really able to be there to hold space. And by that, I mean, a lot of times with, with clients and just people I know and like asking them their birth story. I think there's a lot of power in being able to share that and feeling heard where it's not just like, what about the baby? How's the baby? What's like, you know, tell me, like, let me, let me hold space for whatever you're going through. And that means also just listening and not doing that. It sounds harsh, but the the narcissistic sharing where you tell me something of your birth story and then I want to tell you mine. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. you're trying to be helpful, but somehow in that conversation, you make it about yourself. So doulas are trained to really hold space in that sense of like receiving and being there for you to witness whatever you have gone through and are going through. And I think checking in and asking questions that help us, you know, since we, we are not there to provide medical advice, you know, we cannot triage or anything like that, but to ask those questions that are important, like I can ask somebody how, how their bleeding is doing, are, are they concerned about the rate of blood loss? You know, what is that like? How is lactation going? You know, if they're, if they're chest or breastfeeding, you know, how is the baby's weight doing in response to that? Looking at that, if they're having trouble with that, we can most or all doulas, at least in my certifying program, you have to take a lactation course. And then there are many doulas who are also certified separately as maybe a a certified lactation counselor or educator. You know, maybe they're even an IBCLC, which is the highest level of accreditation for professional lactation educators or consultants, I should say. So we can troubleshoot those things. We can give tips and, you know, maybe refer out if we think that there's something, you know, if you're having a a really tough time or we're concerned about something, we'll have IBCLCs in our back pocket to be able to refer you to. And that can be really helpful. I love the idea there that it's not on the mom to make those phone calls or even like, you know, go through the list handed over by their OB of like, you know, who to contact. Those, I just remember those days and a decision like that is so overwhelming. It's the simplest thing, but that's, that's where you're at in terms of like this major life event that's just happened to you. And, you know, having someone who can be there to make those kinds of, uh, do do you make like a phone call for people sometimes or? Typically no, doulas are really there and that goes under, especially, so I was certified through Dona International and, you know, it's very clear we're not giving any medication. Even if it's Tylenol, say for, for an infant, we're going to, we could get that ready and give to you to give, or we can say, here's what I think I'm seeing based on my experience or, you know, these resources, I think maybe it's this, here's, if I were in your shoes, here's what I would do. And encouraging people to 
call their providers. You know, I think having, we do have, typically doulas will have a great network. We'll have resources we can give you and then recommendations. So I might not, I'm not going to be calling somebody for you, but I can say, given what I, this could be, or given your concerns, here are two people that I would recommend calling and, you know, kind of helping cut out that noise of like, (laughs) how do I find help? Where do I go? You know, I think a big part of being a doula is like getting people off of Dr. Google and and dealing with that and, you know, trying to avoid all those rabbit holes. And also, you know, to your point earlier about friends and family, it's like, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to say like, how are your nipples doing? (laughs) None of your friends and family are certainly not going to do that. And I'm also going to be trained to know what could potentially be some roadblocks if you have you know, really large nipples or maybe flat nipples or inverted nipples, which can impede feeding, you know, breast size doesn't, which is surprising to most people, but nipple shape can, can impact your feeding journey a little bit. Yeah. All right. Good, good info on nipple shape. I'll I'll just throw that stuff out there, nipples and vaginas and pelvic (laughs) floor and all of it. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So I would love to, to, shift gears a little bit here. We touched on this a little bit so far, but you know, you sent me some great research on the current state of postpartum care here in the US. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to elaborate about that information a little bit more and just give me some of the highlights about what the challenges are and what some of the proposed solutions are. I think a lot of people are very surprised to learn the state of birth and postpartum in America, we really have pregnancy covered. Like we market to that bump like crazy. There is a there is an outfit and a product for everything you need. And there are certainly a lot of products for postpartum, but really for the baby. I think we're seeing that change, but that's a whole other topic. When it comes to maternal outcomes, and I'll say maternal outcomes, I want to always be as inclusive as possible in my language, but that is how when you look at the research from the CDC and other governing bodies, it is for female identifying, quote unquote, mother, and their terminology is maternal mortality rate. So going forward, I'm, I'm going to be using that, but that's, that's why. And they also refer to women throughout the studies. So I'm really happy we're talking now because the CDC published a new study for the first time in ages. And it's really eye-opening and it includes data up until 2018, which as you know, for something like the CDC, that's like really new information. <laughs> a lot of times you, you look at studies and it's like 2007, 2004, things like that. So what's really alarming is that it is safer by the numbers to give birth in Kazakhstan than it is in America. We have a maternal mortality rate of 17.4 deaths per 100,000 live births. and that's not the whole story. That's looking at births that happen within 42 days, or, or that's looking at deaths that happen within 42 days of giving birth. So, and according, the number that I have the latest is that according to the CDC, 24% of maternal deaths happen six or more weeks after a woman gives birth. So that, that rate of maternal mortality is not the full picture. It's bad. And it's like, really not encapsulating all of the births. And the data also only goes up to the age of 40. And as we know, women are, are women and birth persons are giving birth later and later. So, you know, it excludes moms over 44. So I, it's, it's not, I, th- I think that birth group is relatively small by numbers, but I'm just saying even the, the stats we have are not completely inclusive of all of the data. So it's very concerning. We are the only industrialized country to have an increasing maternal mortality rate. And when you look at our peer group in terms of industrialized wealthy countries, we are we are last. We are absolutely last. You know, and we see that it's it's really bad and it's far worse if you are a person of color. The current stats that we have, just looking at this, the maternal death rate for black women is more than double that of white women. And it's three times the rate for Hispanic women. So really, really scary there. And, you know, looking at beyond maternal mortality rates, you also have rising perinatal mood disorders, or I should say perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which are known as PMADs. So it's estimated based on current research that or data that one in five birth persons will experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. And that includes depression and anxiety. Those are the bulk, the majority 
of PMADS, but you also do have psychosis, PTSD, and OCD. Uh, that's really high. <laughs> one in five. Do we have data on how many out of those one out of five are getting treatment? Oh, not that I don't have something firm. I think that we're looking, a lot of the data is on outcomes. And so we see, I think that's also part of the conversation. We're seeing the data is about worst case scenarios. So I always think of like, who, who do we not know about? Who is not getting treatment? who is not being registered as somebody with one of these conditions or what if that death is not accounted for. It's it's really scary. And I think even just anecdotally in my work, both as a doula, but also as a perinatal journalist, hearing so many stories where people didn't know to codify it as that. They didn't even know what they were going through. They just knew they didn't quite feel like themselves. And so what is that? There's this big gray area of, we're told that baby blues are totally normal. The stats are 80% of birth persons will experience baby blues and that they'll resolve, that'll resolve on its own within a few weeks. But like, what, what does that mean? That can mean different things to different people. And then what if you are fully functional, but you're still terrified or you have imposter syndrome or you're afraid to be intimate again, or like you're shutting down in some ways, or you're just like, or that, that, that blanket statement of like, I just don't feel like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. So why don't we chat here about, I think that the audience is probably fairly familiar with what a birth doula does. Mm-hmm. And you sent me a statistic that only 6% of American women utilize a birth doula, mm-hmm. which again is, is really, really low. I wonder if it might be higher in New York City because most so. of my peer group was using it, but it, it also yeah. of course depends on your socioeconomic status. And, you know, there's a lot of research that connects using a birth doula to mm-hmm. positive health outcomes, both for the mom and the baby. Is that right? Absolutely. And we're seeing, I think it's very encouraging. We're seeing a lot of states start recognizing birth doulas. And and to me, we'll, they'll get to postpartum doula, but you have to start somewhere. So looking at, especially when you look at those rates of maternal mortality rates, especially for persons of color and especially in uh, lower socioeconomic areas, the, the benefits of having a doula is showing like lower cesarean rates, less trauma, like less intervention in those births and higher rates of breast or chest feeding success, really positive outcomes overall. And, you know, you're seeing more and more pilot, we're seeing more and more pilot programs in states where they are not only recognizing doulas, but trying to figure out how to reimburse them for services. It's bringing up a lot of questions as they do this, but I'm happy to see many states starting to, to enact things that get us towards like real, a real continuum of care. That's a little bit more holistic. And I mean that as an encompassing term, not a crunchy term. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, what a birth doula does, and I'm just sharing this from my own experience, if you can chime in wherever you want to, they generally meet with the woman a couple of times prior to the birth, and then they attend the birth, and they are a non-medical professional that's there to advocate for the woman and coach her through certain things that maybe she wanted in her birth plan. Anything you want to add to what they would do there? I think that's the biggie. I think there's there's some divisions within birth doula about how how much you wear that advocate hat and what it means to you. I think some doulas feel like they are there and they're they're speaking for the client, but I think most doulas, especially those rooted in certain certification programs, would would say like they are there to illuminate options to that birth person. They and really empower them to advocate for themselves. It's tricky and probably not worth getting into here. But but really, yeah, that birth doula is absolutely there for for support along that journey and to, to let you know all of the options that you have. Because most of the time, I, I think people who are giving birth aren't aware of all their options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've got to say, I was not even familiar with the term postpartum doula when I birthed my kids. I was, the birth doula I used happens to be a very good friend of mine. So I was texting her left and right. (laughs) But that's not necessarily part of the deal when you hire a birth doula. It might be, right? Right, right. And I think some typically will give at least one or two Mm follow-up. They'll kind of straddle that postpartum a little bit. Yeah. So I was familiar, some of my peers would hire night nurses. And I I kind of thought about that as a, I never did it, but I thought about that as 
as a support avenue. But honestly, I mean, my my younger kid is two and a half. And I really only started to learn about what postpartum doulas do maybe six months ago. So I would love for you to illuminate what that option is and, and how that can look for for or persons in various situations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you were totally in the norm. I think I didn't know what a postpartum doula was. I knew what a night nurse was. And, you know, they're typically very, they're there for the baby to support you in that way, which is incredible, but very different. And yeah, I think we're just having this moment. It's really exciting to see all of these communities rising up, different services, you know, mine included, like I had this idea years ago and you know, now I've been able to materialize it, but it's funny that I think a lot of people were looking around in these past four years going, there's nothing here. We have to change that. So we're in this really, really unique and I think wonderful time where we're recognizing the needs of mothers and birth persons. So what a postpartum doula does in a nutshell, and this is my perspective, which is informed by my training with Dona and, and my work is we are there to one, hold space to to troubleshoot any basic lactation needs answer questions we are there you know number 3 to provide evidence based information research and resources and number 4 assess and refer out as needed to specialists and that also means like being aware of conditions and situations and also knowing where to turn to and giving really reliable information, knowing like who those big players are and, you know, something like postpartum support international. If I'm speaking with somebody and they are, I typically give an Edinburgh scale of postpartum depression and anxiety as a check-in. It's a simple questionnaire and it's very client led. So, you know, they're letting you, you can meet and talk about their, their answers. And if they're rating high on that, I'm, it, uh, it allows me to say, okay, like this is what I'm hearing these are your concerns based on that i think it might you know it might be a good idea to to chat with xyz you know are you interested in some resources i can i can give you some references to online groups for support you know are you aware of any say psychiatrists or psychologists in the area who specialize in maternal health no well, let me help you. Yeah, I think that can be so helpful just because, you know, if a woman and I, I count myself in this group is thinking, I feel like something might be wrong and maybe it's something I need help for. No, no, you know, this is just, this is totally normal. I can get over this. And it can yeah. be so helpful to have a trained third party <laughs> voice saying, no, actually, yeah, that's that's something you might want to get some more treatment for. Right, right. And, and sometimes you will, you will absolutely need some clinical support, you know, some some certain kind of medical healthcare support, whatever it may be. You might also just not have showered for two days and have not talked to anyone about how you're feeling. And you might feel guilty that you have this beautiful baby that you wanted for so long and you're kind of resentful of how your life is changing or you have no idea what you're doing and you think that everyone else has it figured out because it looks like it on Instagram. And yeah, sidebar, that's a whole other conversation, but you may just need somebody to, and not just, it's a big deal. You, you may need somebody to say, yeah, I see you and I hear you. What you're going through is monumental and you just birthed a person and you also birthed yourself as a parent. That is a monumental shift. And, you know, somebody to be like, I'm here for you and really mean it. I, and, and not all this other stuff, like I am here for you. And I think that to me, that is what is so impactful about being a doula and what's so cool about all of those different nooks and crannies that we can fill. And I mean that like it, like, for me, a client's wins are my wins. Like when I see them getting a lat, like a proper latch down and that baby's feeding for the first time on their chest, like that, it makes me want to cry. And when I, you know, I'm speaking with somebody and they're like, you know what? I didn't, I didn't cry today because of the work that we're doing together. Like that's why I'm doing this. And it's very easy to, I think, kind of lose sight of like what this is all about. And it's really, you know, it's a, it's about like those outcomes and it can be as drastic as asking someone about their blood loss and making sure that they are not soaking through more than one pad an hour, because that means get yourself to urgent care, hang up the phone, dial 911, 
you might have a postpartum hemorrhage and I hope I'm wrong, but please do that. You know, it can be as dire as that, but it can also be so many other things. And I think that's where my hope is as I, as a doula and as a writer and also the founder of, of this new company that's major to let people know it's, it's about tackling those, those dire outcomes and the state of birth and postpartum in this country. But it is also for all of the in-betweens and all of those people who are like just on that journey, because just being on that journey is enough to warrant a cheerleader in your corner, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask you about in, as I just started to learn more about what postpartum doulas do, and a lot of it is through the professional networking that I've done now that I've relocated to Oklahoma city and, you know, trying to get the word out about my business that serves postpartum moms and, you know, connecting with the few postpartum doula services, I've kind of at first got the impression that it's a lot about, you know, you hire them for a few hours, maybe they'll come cook dinner or clean your house. Are there differences in what, you know, some doula services do? Because what you've been talking about so much is really supporting the, the health and emotional and physical health needs of the mother, right? Right, right. And I think that's a great question. And I appreciate you asking it because doulaing is there's, it's multifaceted and I think it's changing a lot. I think for some, it is absolutely about, and I will say, I think all of it is important, (laughs) but for some, you know, it's going into the house, it's letting the parents shower and, you know, helping them meal prep, maybe cooking food. That really depends on the doula. I think there's a a whole scale of how much cooking a doula is willing, an in-person doula is willing to do, how much cleaning an in-person doula is willing to do, how much watching of of the baby. And and sibling transition is also an important part of it. So I think for doulas, some are, are more interested and comfortable with interacting with siblings than others. So all of those have their place. I think, you know, for other doulas who are in person, all of that's happening, but they're also maybe trained in belly binding. Maybe they're trained in vaginal steaming or they have a separate licensure in like herbology or something like that. So they're very interested in kind of those like tinctures and other like more holistic treatments to nurture that, that mother, that birth person. So I'm seeing that as kind of this new wave that's happening. That's definitely, you know, something you're seeing a lot on Instagram. As, as those kind of doulas. You know, for me, I think I certainly do that for in-person clients in terms of like you know, doing some food prep. My background is as a food food journalist. I was in food media for years. So I think being able to get snacks and prep things for a, especially a, a new mom is important because that's that's just really hard when you're you're just like in that recliner, that armchair, and you're like, the baby fell asleep on me. I cannot move. Uh, you, you know, you need help. But I think this other layer, especially with my virtual work and why I found it that's major was this really drawing attention to the, the power and the, of, of like the advocacy of it. And, and to see that, you know, it really burns me when people confuse like doulas for like babysitters or like basically a stand-in grandparent. I think it is so much more than that. And we need to respect that and really uphold the work of doulas and see it as like, it is a paid for service and for good reason. And what is the training that those doulas bring? And yes, they're there usually because they, they love babies. They love families. They want to, to nurture them with all that heart. But there's also a lot of training involved. And, you know, to me, I see it as like, we can do all of those things, but also honor the advocacy work that we can do and the education we can do. I think, I think there's a lot of power in being like not only holding space, but giving recommendations and resources. And, you know, even if it's gear recommendations, like if I've been testing 20 different bottles, if I can tell you like, these are the top three that I think I've seen have good outcomes. Like that's not just like, Oh, that's, that's a nice opinion. No, that's, there's a lot of work that went into that and education in that. And I hope it's really useful and it's going to cut down on your emotional and mental load as a new parent and your pocketbook, right? Because, oh my gosh, you spend so much money on everything that you see. And somebody's like, oh, I lived and died by this one product and then it's useless for you. Right, right. Yeah. So what you mentioned about, you know, you're not just in and grandparents. I think that that's so important for everyone to know. Mm-hmm. I pulled out a line from a resource from Dona International that you sent me. And it says, the doula's support is intended to fill the gaps left by our customary postpartum practices. And we've discussed this a little bit already, how, you know, in 
other cultural setups, you know, the there's a, a lot more that, you know, the mom and the grandma are, you know, local to the, the woman who's become a new mom. And, you know, there's just a lot more cultural support for what the mom needs. And, mm-hmm. you know, so to a degree, like th- there's a, a quote unquote grandparent role that you are filling right. that maybe someone who doesn't have parents local would be seeking. But what I'm hearing right. is that, you know, especially in this day and age with all the access to resources and all these, you know, new moms are just swimming in information and it's so hard to cut through. Mm-hmm. You're adding another level to that. Basically. Yes, absolutely. And I think by no means do I want to sound like I'm being negative about anyone who comes in and, and holds the baby so a parent can shower because that is a gift. That is a serious gift. And it, and it is very important because I do believe that showers are like a mere they're miraculous when you're in the throes of postpartum. <laughs> they can make you feel a lot, lot better. But absolutely, there was cultural support currently in other cultures and in the past in our societal structures there certainly was much more co cohesion and i don't mean that as a judgment it was just like you lived closer to one another you stayed closer together and now you know i think we're more distant but even then i think having somebody who is trained and up on the latest research research can be very very beneficial in my work you know i encounter a lot of older generations still trying to put rice cereal in bottles, both for breast milk and for formula. That's absolutely the, the, the evidence is there that that is hard on, you know, that, that is not recommended. It doesn't follow. We didn't know that 30 years ago when our parents... Right, they're just trying to help. But meanwhile, they are giving a young infant who cannot digest that something. And then, you know, you might have some gas issues. The baby might have gas issues or or other other responses. And it's like, why? What's happening? And, you know, when babies are upset, they cry. So it's like, oh, I have a fussy baby. Why? And and so it's like getting in there and kind of seeing that and saying, okay, well, I know that's the, well, however you want to phrase it, but (laughs) basically trying to get them to not add that. Same with, you know, we still see, and I think some other generations putting a blanket on an infant, you know, we don't want to to do that. You want flat back in a bassinet. And then when it's time in in a crib and absolutely no blankets, no bumpers, no toys, even some people will kind of wedge something in there and, you know, you don't want that. So it's, just being able to be impartial. Yeah. Well, I can see how that would be so helpful. I had some older relatives say, oh, you you slept with a be- blanket when you were a baby and you turned out fine. Right. And it's true. It turned out fine. Right, right, right. I think having a third party expert voice, instead of the mom just saying, well, I read on Google that we're not supposed to do that anymore. The, right. the trained professional saying, well, you know, recommendations have changed. Here's why we're not supposed to do that anymore. Right, exactly. And I think it's always... And it's all in the delivery. I think I really, I saw somebody had told me that Fuller House in its reboot, the last season had a doula on it. So I wanted to see their depiction and it was this horrendous depiction of a doula, postpartum doula. I mean, I was very happy to see a doula in pop culture, but it was like this very authoritative role who told everybody they were doing it wrong and was like, get out, give me the baby. And I was, I was just like yeah, shouting at my TV, no, that's not how it is. So, you know, a lot of it is like, I think that mix of Evidence-based information, knowing current guidelines, but also being a, at least for me, being a parent myself. And I know that like, I'm, I can tell you what the guidelines are. I also know what, like, I know that my daughter could only fall asleep on my chest for a certain amount of time. I'm not going to lead with that, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to convey that to you. Am I going to force my will on you? No, that's not my place. And I think coming at it with all of that information, but also a lot of compassion and certainly the support partner, you know, husband partner at large could use the service as well. And even in my in-person doula work, I, it's very important for me to have FaceTime with a partner, if there is one, to know how they're doing and help them figure out how to support the birth person, because that comes up a lot. Like, I don't know what to do. So I don't do anything or like, I don't know what to do. I'm standing in the wings and I feel really uncomfortable and like, that's not helping anybody. So what do I do? Yeah. And so so you'll have those conversations with the the partner about. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I have, you know, helping them, like giving them information about what their partner's going through. I think for some new parents, 
for some new birth persons, it's, it's very, they might not feel comfortable saying the word vagina even like they've had this baby, but they're like, uh, I don't want to expose you quote unquote to any of this stuff. And so if I can go in and be like, well, this is all of the stuff that's going on. And that's, you know, it's a big deal, you know, or even just asking them, like, do you have any questions? I think a lot of times in my experience, the partners are, are there are typically saying like, I just want to know what I can do. And that's where I think even something that I, I do based on my past experience in food is like helping with meal planning and like very basic blueprints. And I can help, you know, that's something I can task a partner with doing because they, they, they're looking for a role. So I can say like, it would be tremendous if you took ownership of three nights a week of cooking dinner, or maybe you're not cooking, you're just figuring out how dinner ends up on the table. You know, all of these components of our lives, like it's so easy to take them for granted, but when you break them down, you look at like the emotional labor involved and it can take a toll. You know, even like I've worked with several mothers who it's their second to fourth child. And there's like, there's just more to figure out more logistics. So, so some way that I can show up for them is like, talk to me about what's stressing you out. And believe it or not, like food comes up all the time. So talking through, I can help them troubleshoot like, okay, what does that look like? Can you ask somebody who lives near you? Can you ask somebody for help? Okay, no, what else can we do? And like, I can help back find and like, kind of work out the mechanics, whether for you to tackle or your partner can tackle, you know, and I think that's like something random, but actually really useful that I can do as a doula. I I mean, a major theme on this show going forward will be, you know, the mental load of food prep and things like that. And what I actually really like about the virtual doula approach here is that if you, and you know, I'm absolutely not knocking in-person doulas. I think that's an incredible resource. But, you know, it's wonderful to have an in-person doula come and maybe she meal preps for you for the week and that's really beneficial for you in that time. But what it sounds like you're doing is helping the couple figure out that division of labor and and how things might need to change now that there's a new baby in the picture. And that's something that isn't a temporary fix. That's something they're going to be, you know, working to improve over the course of now their their new journey as parents, right? I wish I could reach out and hug you because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. That's totally it. And I think when you're when you're in the throes of postpartum, sometimes you need doing. You need people to do things for you. That's so real. But I think where my service comes in is like helping you fish for yourself. So holding space, giving you that platform, you know, helping you helping you do, but really trying to to help you see what you're kind of up against in a way, like to help you see where you are in this journey, which I think we all need in so many ways in our lives, right? To somebody to hold up a mirror to be like, you're amazing. And look at all of the things you're doing. Look at what you've been through, what you're going through, like who you are right now and be able to appreciate that, but also realize what's being asked of you right now. So once we see that, then we can prioritize what do we need to do? Well, how do we, how are we going to work on this together? And so like, I'm there to support you, you know, like I'm getting your tackle ready, right? I'm not even, a, I don't fish, but just. <laughs> I didn't even know what you meant by tool. tackle until you mentioned fishing again. <laughs> so just abandon that. But, you know, really, yeah, helping you, helping you do for yourself as much as possible. And, and I think that's an important role of a doula. You know, that's why like, we're not there to set up those appointments for you we're not there to call your provider for you and be like, you need to talk to them. But I am there to say, you know what your gut is telling you. You know, maybe you have a concern. Like I see this all, I see this a lot of like, you know, this concerns me X, Y, Z, but I don't want to be that person. I don't, I don't want to call the doctor and have it be nothing. Or like, I'll just call my OB later or I'll call the pediatrician later. Or, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll just see. And for me to say, well, it sounds like that's really concerning you. And based on these other things, like, I think it is a, worth a call to your pediatrician. I think it is worth maybe investigating some lactation, further lactation support or, you know, whatever it may be and giving you the tools and ability and sometimes the numbers to call, but like giving you that ability to do that for yourself. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of confidence building that comes with that, which we could all use when we're in that really tricky postpartum time when you're just trying to, you're just trying to navigate everything. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, thank you so much, Mandy, for being on the show and sharing all of your knowledge. I appreciate it. Okay, that was my original interview with Mandy recorded right before COVID hit. Now let's hear what Mandy is up to right now. Hey, Mandy, thanks so much for coming back on to chat a little bit about what has changed with so uh, the world of postpartum doulas. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, Mandy, you run a virtual postpartum doula service in a pandemic. <laughs> Tell me how that has been going. Has it, has it been good? Has it been challenging? What's going on? So much has changed since we last spoke. And this, this big, bold idea of launching a virtual doula service that became completely normalized. I wouldn't say overnight, but within a few months, going from some people maybe offering some kind of virtual services to just literally every doula offering it pretty much. So there's been a lot of questions for us to to look at. And I think what has bubbled up over the course of this pandemic is with with the sea of, of virtual services, this, this question arises of why us? And I think that's an important question probably for any business to ask themselves, but that has definitely been front and center for us as we navigate the pandemic as individuals, you know, providers and as a business. So that really shined a light on lots of things we always wanted to do, things that I had always, you know, ideas of mine that I was really passionate about, just realigning things and trying to materialize them sooner than later. So I'm really excited to share that we are on the cusp of launching our beta app called My Fourth, which will be launching January 24th and starting out for this beta to test things out, to see how it goes, looking at a 30-day personalized postpartum guide. And that for me is so exciting on multiple levels. You know, one, it's something that I always wanted to do. That was always a goal. Two, I think it helps answer that why us question where it's more, it's, I think it's, it's about going beyond what is a doula? What are, how can a doula help me? That's, it's such an intimate relationship. And I think that people need to understand what a doula can offer. And so in a way that like we're doing that, but providing real-time service by giving you each and every day postpartum, what's normal, what's not, you know, here's what to look for and trying to really like condense it so that you're not overwhelmed. I think it's so challenging after get, having, having a baby where it's like these thick books and like just the, you know, like the Dr. Google and just being able, I don't know, I think that there's so much information out there, it can get really overwhelming really quickly. So the idea is like bite-sized information. And basically, you know, the app is free and that can allow you to hopefully be guided through postpartum, have a, a more empowered and healthy postpartum, feel supported. And then if you want some extra support, you have questions that aren't answered in the app, whatever it may be, you're able to have kind of spot sessions with our doulas and book in a different way than you can with our traditional memberships that we offer where that's on site now. And it was when we last spoke where you have a monthly membership and you, you're partnered with a doula one-on-one who has got your back through, you know, whether it's through a month, through the full fourth trimester. This is a little different, something that we're going to see are people interested in having that like spot access for, I have this really urgent question, or I really just need to talk with somebody. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, well, because, yeah. you know, things could be going great. And then something, you know, turns on a dime. And yeah. you're not sure if it's something that you want to get some professional care for, or maybe it's just something that's hitting you emotionally that you came out of nowhere. Cause that yeah, happens. exactly. And, <laughs> and like nine times out of 10, I feel like for the questions that pop up in the fourth trimester, you can find counterpoints. You can find point counterpoint nine times out of 10. So what are the facts? And, you know, I think that's something that's so important for us, you know, being evidence-based experts in terms of both the birth person's recovery and their care, but also babies. It's really that fusion and, you know, coming at it with the facts is always a good thing. (laughs) And I love that it's free so that any woman having a baby right now can access it. You mentioned, you know, women feeling overwhelmed Mm -hmm. this past year about has been an insane Insane. time to be pregnant. 
and have a baby. And, you know, you're, you do this day in and day out. What have you found are the biggest challenges for women mm-hmm. right now? And, and what does Major Care Doulas do to address and support yeah. those women? I, I think it's the, the word unprecedented has been well worn, right? Like that's just, you know, there is such a huge challenge for pregnant and postpartum people. And I can speak anecdotally to it. I think it's still, certainly there's there's data coming out about how this is impacting folks. But I would say anecdotally that there is a sense of loss for celebrating pregnancy the way that people had anticipated. And rightly so, that there's such a joy in sharing a pregnancy. And you know, having your community rally around you and being able to have those in-person get-togethers. And I think just being among people and, uh, you know, obviously there's there's some, nobody wants those like random people on the street saying, hey, you with that belly, you know, are you expecting twins? But in general, <laughs> there's a lot of support. And I think I do get that sense that people are, are mourning that. And I think at least as, as a doula and as an individual, I'm trying to support the people in my life, allowing them, you know, giving them permission, giving them space to feel those feelings and mourn that. It's not like they should feel bad that, you know, oh, I'm just feeling sorry for myself. To me, it's like, no, this is a, this is a legitimate thing to mourn. And your pregnancy didn't, even as, if it was, you know, perfectly healthy and all of those good things, it was still very different than you had anticipated from the, you know, the onset. So I think there's that. I think I can say anecdotally in some conversations with providers that the call volume surrounding mental health concerns and anxiety in particular in postpartum is, is definitely there. It is sizable. And what's been shared with me is just, it's been, it's been challenging for providers to keep up and they don't always have enough like mental health resources at the ready within their networks to support folks in the way that they would they, they would like to. And I think that's that's where, you know, we'll we'll keep beating that drum of how important it is to have postpartum support, whatever that looks like. Obviously, you know, with major care, we believe that doulas are a really unique and wonderful way to support postpartum families, you know, looking at obviously we don't provide medical care, anything like that, but to be able to witness and to help guide people in general, that's really valuable. But right now, I think even more so given all of the stress, you know, I keep talking about it like it's the lobster in the pot, you know, that slow boil. (laughs) You don't realize how much all of this is affecting you until you do, until there's those moments where it's too much or you really have that sense of this this new reality. And it's, it's a lot for people to carry on top of the normal transition of being a new parent. Yeah, so much so. So tell us, for women who are listening to this and, you know, starting to think that a postpartum doula would be really helpful, or, or even if, it's, if you have a friend or colleague, right, who just had a baby, this is, this is something you can get them set up totally. with, right? Tell us how to get set up with your services. Absolutely. So there's really, there's two ways. One, I would, you know, love people to check out my fourth, which is just thatismajor.com backslash my hyphen fourth. And my fourth represents the fourth trimester. And that is something, and I should clarify, so the app is is free, the content is free, the doula sessions are a small fee just for those specialized Mm -hmm. one-on-one sessions. But that is a wonderful way to engage with our services. You can also visit just thatismajor.com. And we're still offering our monthly memberships. You can also get those folks in your life to buy you a gift certificate. We offer, mm-hmm. we offer that. And I love that for baby showers, especially virtual baby showers. So that, you know, a great way to support people who are not nearby. If you have, you know, family members who live far away, at least they know that like you're going to be in good hands and we can support you through your last month of pregnancy all the way through three months postpartum. Okay. So great. Such a great service to be available to women. And, you know, I, you've probably heard this too, the way that the pandemic has shown a light on the the gaps in, in care, you know, healthcare across the board, whether, it, whether it's gaps in, you know, mental health care services or the way that certain services are available to certain populations and not. And, you know, I just think, think it takes, it's going to take innovation to, you know, really sort of mend these gaps and, you know, move forward in a better way. And I just love how you're a part of that. And, you know, oh, thank and, you. you know, and, and I, you're, you're doing all this as a working mom too. You know? yeah, so. little, like, yeah, there's all those layers to it. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's really, 
it's hard to find those words. It's, it's so intense. And I think that's where I recognize, especially right now, even if you, if you really need that help and that support and that guidance, but like figuring out who to go with and then trusting someone you don't know, like there, there, there's a lot there, right. Mm. To welcoming someone in your life at this vulnerable time, like you would a doula. And so I think that's my hope with my fourth and, and creating this app is like, you can at least have this soft place to land those first 30 days We're we're building out a 42 day experience and then building into a 90 day experience. But hopefully if nothing else, you can feel seen and get a benchmark for what's normal and what's not, Mm -hmm. because so many of us, we just grit it out. And we think that that's what we're supposed to do, that there's some pride in doing it alone. And that is never how it's been done. And we're not (laughs) wired for that. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say nobody bringing a baby into the world right now is in a normal situation. Uh, And we could all use the, as much support yeah. as we could get. <laughs> yeah, we're asking, like, we already in America are asking too much of ourselves yeah. with how we're set up with postpartum, yeah. you know, just after so much support and services and all of this stuff through pregnancy, you're just, you're just really left on your own. And that's not right. And I think then you add this pandemic into it. And how in the world are we supposed, like, supposed to go forward and not lose it to some level? Yeah. If if anybody's just sailing along and just like no, I'm totally fine. Yeah, this is all great. I mean, great. Mm-hmm. if you are amazing, but you mm-hmm. are a flipping unicorn. <laughs> yeah, and that's just not. Yeah, and it's like it's so tr- so tricky because we pride ourselves mm-hmm. on that independence mm-hmm. and being able to do it on our own. And mm-hmm. I think just like my rallying call, my mission is to get from a place of like talking in past tense about how hard postpartum is and talking about it in real time to understand like, this is, this stuff is, is normal. And this is why like literally every other developed country has support services for postpartum. We're the only one that does not have something really, you know, ingrained in like the healthcare system. If it feels like you're alone to figure it out, it's because you, you are. Thankfully, you know, there's, there's a, such a huge rise in, I think, companies and sole practitioners and stuff trying to fill this gap. But yeah, it's, it's just a recipe for disaster. And people just, you know, we end up talking about it. Like you hear so often, I wish I knew. And I was just actually chatting with someone saying, you know, I want to move the conversation from I wish I knew dot, dot, dot to I'm so thankful I knew about dot, dot, dot. Wow, Mandy, you're doing awesome work. And thanks so much for coming on to share your story twice now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate the support. Yeah. And we'll put some links in the show notes to how everybody can get in touch with you and your company. And if this is something that's going to help them out. Thank you. Thank you. Here's hoping. All right. (laughs) Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to both of my interviews with Mandy. Fun fact. Mandy and I actually met in a Facebook group. She and I have actually never met in person, but when we logged on to my recording platform to record that update just a few days ago, I honestly felt like I could have spent the whole afternoon chatting with her. When I started this podcast, I wasn't totally sure that I wanted to start a Facebook group to go along with it, but ultimately I decided to take the plunge because of connections just like that. The Messy Intersection podcast community is a safe and welcoming space to connect with other moms in the Messy Intersection right along with you and to share your struggles and maybe some of the time get tips to help, but other times just to get a, yeah, me too, and know that you're not the only person struggling. So to join that Facebook group, you can text hello to 405-407-MESS or check out the links in the show notes. And I will also be posting links to Mandy's resources there in the Facebook group. And also just a friendly reminder that if you like what you've been hearing on the show, if maybe you never would have known what a postpartum doula does unless you'd heard this very episode and it's now going to benefit you or a friend so much, I would really love for you to take a quick second and rate and review the show in your podcast player. Usually you just scroll down below the episode you're listening to right now and it doesn't really take any more time than sending a text. And the more reviews that the show has, the easier it will be for other moms to discover it. And perhaps more than anything, it just absolutely warms my heart to read them. It's really, really meaningful to me. So thanks in advance for that. And until next week, embrace the mess.